Well, hey, friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm excited to bring this episode to you. Our guest today is a life and business coach. He's an author and a mastermind facilitator, which is something I'm really interested in. Can't wait to hear more about that. Our guest is Aaron Walker. Aaron, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me on today, buddy. I am so glad to uh, to connect with you and just hear a little bit more about your story. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are and where God has you now, and then we'll go back and and uh, dig through how you got here. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm a native Nashvilleian. I've been uh, here 58 years now in Middle Tennessee, and we're four generations deep right here in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's uh, quite differently now than it was, uh, you know, when I was born here. But Nashville's one of the top two or three destination locations in the United States now. So we're seeing growth in epic proportions. And some of it I like, some of it I don't like, but that's neither here nor there. I <laughs> uh, started working when I was 13, started my first business at 18. I retired at 27, uh, sold the business to a Fortune 500, took about 18 months off. Went back in business, built another company uh, about four times the size it was. And I just kept repeating that exercise until I retired eight years ago. And uh, a couple of guys in our mastermind group encouraged me to start coaching. And now after 40 years of being an entrepreneur, uh, I get to coach ordinary men how to become extraordinary in all they do each and every day. So uh, we have 13 mastermind groups that we facilitate. Uh, I get to coach men nationally and internationally and teach them how to live a life of success and significance. Awesome. Well, tell our friends what a mastermind is, because I know that not everybody understands that term. Yeah, I think we make it more difficult than it is, quite honestly. It's a group of people that have similar aspirations and ambitions meeting on a regular basis to better their life, both personally and professionally. That's a real broad overview of what it is. But in essence, that's what it is. And it's just guys that get together, ladies, whatever the case may be. Some are uh, gender neutral. You know, there's you can be either and be both. Uh, we personally have men in the mastermind groups that we facilitate because there's a lot of sensitive topics that men need to discuss among men and women have similar topics that they need to discuss among women. And so I've just chosen for it to be, uh, men in our groups because we dive deep into, uh, very sensitive personal topics and issues that, uh, are common among men. And so we deal with those things. And, uh, but a mastermind group is simply a group of non-biased, trusted advisors that can help take your life to the next level. I love that. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear more about how you got into that and, and why it's so powerful for you. But let's go back. So you you mentioned you're there in, in Middle Tennessee, and you were born and, and raised there. Were you? Did you grow up in a Christian family, or what was what was that like? I did. I did. Yeah. My mom and dad are Christians, and uh, my mom's still alive. We lost my dad in 06, but... I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. Uh, I went to a church called Madison Heights Baptist Church where my mom was the church secretary. So I didn't have an under the bridge kind of radical transformation. I was raised in a Christian home and I uh, went to church every Sunday of my life and uh, just God tugged on my heart during a revival uh, back in 1970. And I went up, gave my heart to Christ. And quite honestly, I've tried to live for him uh, since I was nine years old and I'm 58 now. 
Wow. What was it in that revival that made you respond to the gospel? You know, uh, it was an evangelist that had come to, uh, you know, how evangelists can get you worked up you know, emotionally. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to go to hell, but uh, I didn't know that much about uh, what a real relationship was with Christ that I'm able to experience now. But I had watched my parents and I had listened to my mom tell me about the love of God and what he was about. And she also told me about the wrath of God. You know, a lot of parents leave that side out. Yeah. And, uh, I'm like, you know, I want to give my life to something bigger than me. And I just remember that night that I felt the, uh, touch of the Holy spirit. I felt, you know, as most kids do, they feel that heart gets to racing. And I'm like, man, I know there's something out there more for me. And I want to live my life for Christ. So I just simply walked up and talked to the pastor and, you know, a week later was baptized and, uh, I've been trying to grow every since. Oh, very cool. Okay. Well, so, you know, how does, how did that then become your own faith? Cause there's a long period of, of growing, I'm sure for you, uh, you know, you were growing up, but then also growing in your faith. So when did your faith really become your own? Well, yeah, I got married young. I was 19 years old. My wife was 18 years old and I was a pretty strong believer then. And I've been very mature for my age from the very beginning. I've worked literally every day since I was eight, nine years old. And so I had a great work ethic. So I've been pretty much on my own and make my own decisions since I was 12 or 13 years old. You know, I kind of knew what I wanted to do professionally and I kind of own my faith. I would say at a pretty early age, probably 17, 18, 19 years old, and then getting married where my life radically changed though, when the relationship became something more than just head knowledge, but more heart knowledge was August 1st, 2001. And that was, you know, a little bit about this story. You've heard me speak before, yeah. but uh, I was headed to the office and ran over and killed a pedestrian on my way to the office. And it really made me pause and take notice of what was fragile, uh, what was dispensable and what was indispensable in my life. And so I started really thinking through that, sold the business, took about five years off. And it was probably through that very, very difficult period in my life that I really become to know what a personal walk and personal relationship with Jesus Christ was. Oh yeah. Which I think that is often how we grow, right? We have to go through those, those wall experiences, those kind of dark night seasons. Yeah. But Eric, do you have to, that's the question, you know, we talk about this a lot and a lot of people say, yeah, I had this radical transformation. It was over a divorce or it was over, you know, a financial loss or it was over killing a pedestrian. I wonder why that is. I wonder why intellectually we can't make a decision because we're intelligent folks and we're educated. Why can't we just go, you know what, this makes sense. And I'm going to give my life to Christ in its entirety. Why can't we do that? Yeah, I think that it's because we have to learn to surrender. So, uh-huh. uh, there, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a way that we we can try to control. So, let me ask you this question: Before that event happened, what was your? Just tell us a little bit about your like your life, kind of your faith, and um, like what you know. Did you feel in control during that period? Yeah, I was pretty arrogant and cocky and condescending in my early twenties and early thirties because I was a poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee that had done well early on. And I began to believe my own press clippings. It was like, 
Hey, you know, I do have the golden touch. I can do this. And I was large and in charge, you know, I'd sold out to a fortune 500 company and I thought, Hey, I can do this again. And I did. Mm. And, uh, it was more about the money. Uh, it was more about the possessions. You know, I had a big house in Nashville and we had a place on the beach in Destin. And then we later bought a place in the mountains and had the nice car and the gated driveway, you know, the huge yard. I had all that stuff and I don't want to minimize that either, Eric. I don't want people hearing my testimony and them say, oh yeah, you rich people say this and that, you know, the, the point of it that I'm trying to get over is, is don't make money your central focus. Like I love to make money. I don't think there's anything wrong with making money. I, I think that it's a good thing and it's a tool, uh, for us to be able to live our life. Well, we can give away well, you know, when you have money, uh, so I'm not negating the fact that, uh, money's, uh, you know, not a good thing. It is, but it was more in control of my life than anything else. It was the central focus. I had almost, I didn't, but I almost replaced it with everything else. It was my sole driving force and the wreck really made me sit up and take notice to that. So my wife told me recently, she said, you know, you weren't a real pleasant person to be around in your twenties and your thirties. And quite honestly, you wouldn't probably have me on this podcast, uh, in my twenties and thirties, because it would have been a whole different conversation. Yeah. You know what? That's a huge testament to your wife too, right? Like if, you know, you, you were married and you're still married and, you know, to say something like that is, uh, is a real, I think a gift of love. It is a gift. She's had the ability to keep me in check for a long time. We'll celebrate 39 years in June. And, um, so she's been my biggest advocate. You know, we both were very, very poor when we started. Uh, she was more poor than I am, if you can imagine. And we didn't have anything. I mean, my dad was a great man. Uh, he was a believer. Uh, my mom was absolutely the rock of our family in regards to spirituality. And even today she's 83 years old and she studies two to four hours a day to teach her Sunday school lesson on Sunday. I mean, she's just a rock star spiritually. And so she only advice she ever gave me financially was she said, when I started working and I was a kid, she said, you know, obviously I don't know much about finances, but what I do know is it's the Lord says you need to give to him first. And if you do that, I promise you, he'll take care of you. And so I started tithing at nine years old and we've tithed, you know, now for 50 years. And, uh, there's no question about that was sound advice. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So take us into that moment when, you know, you, you had this sort of life changing experience when, when you hit that pedestrian and then the spiritual implications of that afterwards. Yeah, I really didn't understand it. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I'm going to church, you know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm taking my family to church. I'm trying to do the right thing. You know, I was an honest person. I had integrity, you know, I had a moral compass. I had what felt like all the right things, but what I really don't think I had at that time was the intimate relationship with Christ which I feel that I have today as a result of that accident. And I tell everybody, you know, there's no way I would wish that on my worst enemy yet. I wouldn't take anything for it because I think it pointed me in the right direction. So I can't say I was a bad person. You know, I've never done drugs. I've never done alcohol and I've never done, uh, immoral, illicit things. I've never done those things, but it still wasn't a personal relationship, a personal, like, Hey, 
come crawl up my lap. Let's have a conversation. It was more head knowledge than heart knowledge. Yeah. So, so what happened? Like you, can you just tell us that story specifically? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, (laughs) you know, I'm kind of laughing now that I reflect back on what you said five minutes ago, you said it comes to a time of surrendering. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what happened. I think I'm like, God, what, what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? I mean, what is it you want me to do? And I think what he was saying was, I want you to give up. I want you to depend on me and rely on me. And I tell folks this when I'm coaching oftentimes, you know, when we're talking about spiritual issues is that if people want clarity, your businessmen want clarity. And I'm like, you know, from a faith standpoint, if you have total clarity, you don't need faith. Right. Well, what's the right. point? I mean, it's like if you can see everything clearly and it's all laid out before you, then we don't need faith. And God was telling me, I think during this time, it's just say, like, hey, I've got this. You, I don't I know you don't understand why it happened, but I've got this as a direct result of me giving up saying, OK, I just want to be obedient. Just what do you want me to do? And he's guided my steps all along the way. And I still don't get it. I still don't understand like somebody lost their life, you know, and that was very difficult to work through for a five-year period. You never get over killing somebody. God gives you the grace yeah. to deal with it. And I think that's true for all of us in our lives. You don't get over things, but God does give you the mercy and the grace uh, in order to cope with it. But now, as a direct result of that accident, we have started Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind Groups. We have you know, people all over the world now involved in our organization and lives are changing. People are coming to know the Lord as a result of it. Uh, they're better mm-hmm. husbands, they're better fathers, they're better business people is because we're showing them what real success and significance is. It isn't just a big house and it isn't just a lot of money. There's a lot more in between. And I think God was trying to get my attention, like get off your high horse. You know, you're not the golden child. I've got this. And I just want you to trust me. And so it seems like since then, I still, quite honestly, Eric, don't understand everything. Yeah. You know, I think this looks good and I think I need to go down this path and he puts a halt to it or something tragic happens or, and I'm like, you know, you've just got to be obedient. I'll give you an analogy a little bit. And this helped me a lot. We had a campaign at our church several years ago and the theme of the campaign was not equal gifts, equal sacrifice. So I really started thinking through that. And I said, what, what does that even mean? Not equal gifts, equal sacrifice. And so I went to our pastor and talked to him and I went to some of the deacons of our church and some of my close friends. And I said, uh, how do I determine what sacrifice is? And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, what's sacrificial? Like you say, not equal gifts, equal sacrifice. And they said, well, I don't understand your question. I said, explain sacrifice. Like, (laughs) what does that mean? Right. And they said, well, it means to give up something. And I said, so do I give a hundred thousand to this campaign? Do I give a million? Uh, Do I sell a building? Do I sell it all? Do I go borrow money? Where is it sacrificial? And it bugged me. I just couldn't get my head around that. So one day in my quiet time, I was praying, Lord, what does this mean? And he goes, forget sacrifice. And I'm like, what? He said, I'll tell you what to do. I want you to be obedient. And I'm like, God, I can get my head around that. It's like, okay. And I had total peace with it after that. It wasn't somebody telling me to sacrifice because nobody could define it for me. Right. I didn't know what that meant. But when God said, you just listen to me, (laughs) 
I've got this. You just be obedient and I'll tell you what to do. Well, that's the way I try to live my life now. Every day I wake up and go, God, I don't get it. I don't get why you closed that door. And I don't get why you didn't open this door. I don't get it. I don't get why this person was living their life for you. It seemed like, and people getting saved and you took his life. You took him. He's 51 years old. My pastor, you took him and I don't get that. And I was weeping. I was like, I don't understand it, but we're not going to understand everything here today. But he's like, I got this. And I think that's where the relationship came in. Everything had to make sense to me when I was 20 and 30 years old. And now it's just like, you know what? You're God and I'm not. And I just want to be obedient to your leadership. Oh yeah. I love that. So that reminds me of Hosea six, where it says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Right. Yeah. Um, acknowledge God rather than burn offerings. That's, that's what God wants. He wants that relationship with us. So he, so he brought you, it sounds like through that, that experience and you, you mentioned it was five years, but you described that before, um, at the, at the conference where we, we met uh, like you were, you were really kind of in the, in the dumps over that. Like that was, that was really kind of going to change your whole perspective. Well, I wasn't in the dumps. Well, how I, would mean, you I say? was in you, you despair. Said, you, okay. <laughs> That, that that's kind of a it's kind of a me yeah. trying to say it nicely, but you <laughs> you you actually you said you couldn't get out of bed for a while, like you yeah, were depressed. No, I didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah. It was I wanted to stay at home in a dark room and didn't want to talk to anybody. And I don't know, uh, Eric, if you've been through things like that, or if you've ever been through a horrific experience. And a lot of people say, "Well, I do this." Well, you don't know what you do until yeah. you're in somebody's shoes, you know. And you got to be careful saying you would do this or that. And I'm real cautious even today at giving advice when you don't know someone's total situation. And, uh, but I remember, uh, guys coming to me and taking me out of the house and buddies of mine would take me to lunch and I'd go to counseling. And I had a coach here locally that I met with on a regular basis. I mean, it was years working through that, you know, it was like one of the things, and I'm being totally honest and transparent here. One of the things was I was kind of pissed off. I was kind of mad. Yeah. I was kind of like, I don't get this. It's like, I felt like I was owed differently. You know what I'm saying? That sounds so terrible to say that, but it was like, Hey, I'm not cheating on anybody. I'm not stealing money. I'm not smoking dope. I'm not drinking. I'm not running around is like, what do you want me to do? And then you throw this in my lap. I'm working three days a week. I got two beautiful daughters at the time. Uh, life is good. I got a big house making plenty of money. And I'm like, man, and then you throw me this curveball. Yeah. Well, and so I was kind of angry about it for a little while. Well, I think that's so interesting because, you know, and you, you were in the pawn business. Is that right? That's correct. Around there in, uh, in, in Nashville. So like, I I don't know, I don't actually know anything about the palm business, but it doesn't seem to me to be a business where there are a lot of people necessarily great character. Maybe there are, but it's not the first thing I think of. Right. Um, yeah, but that's it. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Because you don't know, obviously. I don't know. Yeah. And we had the most amazing clientele. Dave Ramsey has been a good friend of mine now for 25 years. And I advertised on his show and he, uh, he had people coming in there. Our store wasn't the typical pawn shop. We had 10,000 square foot stores, many, many employees. We had the best diamond selection in Nashville. I mean, we had amazing stores and they weren't your typical store. That's why the fortune 500 company wanted them. And 
we had just incredible integrity. Uh, we never had any problems with the law. We could had, I mean, we could have gone down that path, but we chose differently. So there is a stigma that's kind of attached to pawn shops and has been since the beginning of time. Yeah. Uh, but we pride ourselves in having upstanding, uh, high character stores, uh, all over Nashville. Yeah. So that makes my point that, 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 you know, you could have gone in a different direction, but you were, you were this man of character and you felt like God should do something better for you, right? He should take care of you, you better than that. That's the way I felt. I know that was an immature way of looking at it, but yes, the truth is that's the way I looked at it. But, but see, what I guess what I'm trying to say is that's pretty normal, right? We, we have this idea of that if we do all the right things and we, and we kind of walk this stuff out the way we should, that then our life will be will be good. And you kind of had the good life and then it kind of gets all turned upside down by this one this one event and you were angry about it. I th- I thank you for sharing that because I think it's you know my friends here need to hear that. We need to hear that when things, you know, it's not just how much you know and how much you do. There's actually this kind of relationship that God's going to bring you through. And so we talked earlier about well why is that the case that we have to sometimes go through suffering? I think sometimes that's part of it is we can get dependent on the stuff. We can think that this is a transaction between us and God and it's not. Well, that's the way it felt early on in my, you know, in my early days of my relationship with God, I felt like it was transactional. I felt like, Hey, I'm going to give my money. You give me back. Cause you tell me in Malachi, you're going to bless me. You know? So like, here's my tithe, you give it back. And that's the way I felt. I felt like, Hey, if I don't, do bad things and don't smoke dope and drink beer and carry on that you're going to like, hand, and it's like, I'm not saying he doesn't bless you, but see, God's got such a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. There's so much more at play. And as I shared just briefly about our pastor that passed away a couple of years ago, the godliest man I've ever known. I mean, this guy was unbelievable. And then he got a very rare form of cancer and 22 months later, 51 years old, you know, we, buried him. And I'm like, I don't get it. We had millions of people all over the world praying for this guy. And like, why? I mean, our church grew from 250 to 7,000 under his leadership. And I'm like, why in the world would that happen? And then you got to go, you know what, God, I trust you, right? I just trust you. That's all I can do. Cause I don't, we'll understand someday, but we don't understand today. You can oftentimes look back, but I just want to encourage your listeners today. You on this side of heaven may never know, but someday we will know. We'll understand and we'll get it. But, you know, it's difficult to swallow when you're carnal, you know, and when we're having to deal with these things. Yeah. And I think our perspective is our perspective. It's not God's perspective. Right. Um, You know, I had a similar experience when I was going through some anxiety a few years ago. And I finally, you know, when it went away is when I finally said one night I was up in the middle of the night just feeling terrible and. I prayed, I said, God, if this is what you want for me, then okay. But if it's not, then we need to figure this out. You know, I need you to take it from me. Right. And uh, it was a real moment of surrender when he kind of took that, took that away. I still worry, but not the same as I did before, you know? Well, there again, as you said, though, that we're carnal in nature. We can't think with the mind of Christ because we're not Christ. Yeah. And so we're humans. And so, you know, what's funny is, is he expects that. He's like, I get it. I know, but I still want you to give up. Right. I still want you to surrender. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Well, so take us into then from, from there, because you said that that moment, that period of time in your life really helped you deepen. And then you now have this more intimate personal relationship with Jesus. So develop that for us. Tell us, 
the kinds of things that you've that you've done or experiences that God has has brought you through to that more intimate relationship. I met a guy about 15 years ago. His name's Bob Warren, and Bob lived in Hardin, Kentucky. And uh, four years ago, he passed away. He was my spiritual mentor. He really helped walk me through a lot of difficult days and a lot of trying times and uh, just kind of taught me really what it's like to have a relationship with Christ rather than being transactional. And uh, he really helped me understand that God does want us to just spend time with him and get to know him. And I went through some things like disciples prayer life and understood how to pray even more and understood that prayer is, uh, you know, it's not just asking God for something all the time. And even today in my quiet time, and this has been kind of a regiment for me for a couple of decades now is my morning every day, five days a week, not on the weekends, but five days a week starts out between four and 5 a.m. And I spend 15, 20 minutes just in solitude, literally not praying, not asking God for anything, uh, nothing, zero, total stillness and quiet. And I want to tell you, Eric, you know, I'm sure you probably do this exercise as well. That's hard to do. Yeah. It is 15, 20 minutes of not asking, talking to, thinking about anything. Your mind drifts, but the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. And so now, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't want this to sound kind of strange, you know, not this kind of stuff, but (laughs) I think I get more out of my relationship with God in that 20 minutes than I do probably any other time during my devotion, quiet time, scripture reading, scripture memory, whatever I'm doing, because I think he wants us to shut up and listen. Yeah. And I think he speaks to us in a small, still quiet voice because he tells us he does in scripture. And if we're rambling and talking and always going to him with our petitions, it doesn't really leave any room for him to talk. And same way with your spouse, you know, it's like sometimes you need to shut up. You just need to listen. And I'm not real good about that. I'm like, hey, God, we got to get on with it. I'm a high D personality on the, you know, this profile. And I need to get on with it. <laughs> and he's like, I just want you to sit there and listen. And so after that, you know, it goes into... I do what's called an F-260 plan. Uh, Robbie Gallaty is our pastor at our church, and he developed a system to walk through the Bible kind of chronologically, and the whole church goes through it every day together, 7,000 people. And it helps us uh, have a common denominator, you know, things to talk about when we're together in corporate worship. And then uh, oftentimes it's uh, praying for two different lists. I have a list personally, and then I have a professional list, my clients that I pray for, and I pray for God's leadership in the iron sharpens iron. And uh, a lot of people do what I say, and so I want to be sure that I'm hearing from Mm. God uh, because they're doing things I tell them, and I, I want to make sure that I'm giving them good advice. And then I pray for each of my clients individually that, uh, that I coach and, uh, Praise and worship, maybe uh, two to three times ever two weeks. Uh, I'll listen to praise and worship music, and uh, then I start my day. And I've just found over the decades that that really helps me center my day. And through that, I intimately uh, build a relationship. One thing that I was challenged with, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but you, we're calling it all out here on this show, but <laughs> I've never memorized scripture in my entire life until a year ago. Wow. Zero scripture. And I always said I couldn't do it. I always said there's no way that I can memorize scripture. And so my pastor challenged me on that. He has, uh, 
he has a program and he said, let's, uh, they're called D groups, discipleship groups. And there's six of us. And I happen to be in his group. So we meet in his office on Wednesday nights. We're recording this on Wednesday. So I'll have to go there tonight. And, uh, he said, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna start memorizing scripture. And I said to him, I said, I'm not any good at that. He goes, how do you know? And I said, well, cause I've never done it. And he said, well, that's why you're no good at it. And he <laughs> said, you need to, you need to start. So, uh, we started memorizing scripture and, uh, it has become part of my morning every single day and I'm having a blast with it. And it seems like the more I memorize, the easier it's getting. And not only is it getting easier, but the scriptures in my heart. And I can't even tell you the times that I get into a conversation and I go, Oh yeah, that's this. And I'm able to recite that. And I think it has a lot more impact when you're sharing the gospel, when you can say, Hey, not it's in the Bible somewhere, but you can say, Hey, Matthew five says this. And I just think it lends more credibility to your testimony. Yeah, absolutely. Being more specific is always a little more uh, authoritative. Right. But that's, that's very interesting. I love that. That's kind of been a limiting belief that you had that you couldn't memorize scripture and you're kind of overcoming that now. Well, it's, uh, yeah, we all have upper limit challenges, right? Yeah. And that one's been mine. That's interesting. That's yeah, that challenges me a little bit because I don't really I don't really enjoy the process of memorizing things, but it makes me think, oh, maybe maybe I should pick that up again. Well, have you done good in the past with that, or has that been something that you've mm. not really paid that much attention to either? No, not since I was a kid. I used to do Awana as a kid. Well, I'll give you the challenge that he gave me is that uh, we started out right out of the gate memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. And yeah. so you can start there. Yeah, that's a it's a good, that's sort of the central piece of the gospel. Anyway, that's a good place to start. Yeah, it's it's a lot. One hundred seven verses is a lot right out of the gate, though. <laughs> yeah, wow. We have a one of our youth our our youth pastor at my church actually has memorized entire books of of the Bible. And one of these days, I'm going to get him on the show. But he it's inspirational, definitely. When somebody can it's just very impactful it as well because, uh, my spiritual mentor memorized the gospels. Wow. And, uh, it's amazing that he can stand up and preach for hours at a time, never open his Bible and quote passages, not verses, but entire passages. And, uh, our pastor can do the same. And it's very, very inspirational for them to be preaching and be able to quote sermon on the Mount or whatever it is. Uh, it's not, for the demonstration of it or the show of it, but it does give you a sense of accomplishment simultaneously being able to share with others from memory. And, uh, it's just very impactful. My wife was the same way. She's never memorized scripture either. And she's this year memorized a couple of hundred verses. And, uh, it's just very, very, um, gratifying at the same time. It feels like it takes your level of, uh, uh, what word am I looking for? Uh, your intimacy with the Lord, even to a different degree. Yeah. So what's the difference What that you find with having so much scripture memorized? Well, it just, because you play it over and over in your mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, and God says, you know, take my word upon your heart, meditate on it. Well, you can't meditate on something you don't know. Right. And so this just gives me the ability to meditate on scripture that God said his word doesn't return void. And when we share and when we meditate and when we recite, uh, there's great benefit, not only for the people you're sharing with, but for yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. It lets God's word kind of get into your heart in a way that uh, kind of runs in the background, right? Not just at the top of your right. mind. Right. Yeah. Right. I love that. Wow. Those, so those are some really good tips. I love the your morning routine. Thanks for going through that. I think um, that whole idea of silence and solitude. Wow, that is really really powerful and memorizing scripture. That's that's amazing. So, friends, you can pick those up as as uh, not just disciplines but habits to to develop your intimacy with the Lord. Um, all right, Aaron, I want to talk about your mastermind group. So you, you run these mastermind groups. So I want you to tell us about that, but why are masterminds important to you? Yeah, they're very, very important. and have been for 20 years to me now. Uh, I was introduced to them. I was at a mercy me concert. A friend of mine, Jeff Mosley owns INO records and mercy me is one of his labels. And they had a conference uh, here in Nashville, and then Mercy Me was playing at the uh, one of the centers here. And I was sitting at the concert, and Dave Ramsey was sitting in front of me, and I didn't really know he was even there. And he got up and walked out, and he saw me sitting there, and he came over to me, and he said, Hey, man, I didn't know you were here. And I said, Yeah, I wanted to come check him out. And then he turned around, and he came back after he'd left for about five minutes, and he said, I want to talk to you about joining my mastermind group. And I said, okay, what is, what is a mastermind group? And he said, just show up at my office, uh, on Wednesday morning, seven o'clock. And he said, I'll introduce you to some of the guys and we'll go over it. So I go there and you know, we all live here in Nashville. So I, I go over there and go to his office and I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to do this or not. And I go in there and sit down and he introduced me to the guys in the room. Ken Abraham is one of the guys he's written about 95 books wow. now. He's a, probably the most prolific, uh, ghostwriter on the planet. Now he's, I could mention books and everybody would know who they are and he's written them. He was in there, Dan Miller, 48 days to the work yeah. you love. And then Jeff Mosley owns INO records and all these guys. And I'm like, golly, I feel intimidated, you know, being in this room. And they were a lot of them in their career. And a lot of them were just starting some of their career. And, uh, we started meeting every Wednesday in Dave's office and we started reading books together. And I didn't like to read that much either. You know, I was like, I don't like to read. Dave goes, well, get over it. You got to read. <laughs> like you just don't learn through osmosis. I mean, you got to put something in there. And, uh, Dan Miller said, you got to quit watching the news too, man. That stuff will corrupt you. <laughs> so it was 20 years ago, I quit watching the news and I started doing Ted talks and, you know, listening to great podcasts and listening to, uh, you know, things that were energetic and motivating and reading great books and these kind of things. And it just radically transformed my life because Jim Rohn said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And yeah. that is true. And I was like, man, if you're going to fly with the Eagles, you got to get away from the turkeys. I mean, you got to go <laughs> with people that are really trying to make a difference personally and professionally. And so it just kept challenging me and they kept pushing me and through these upper limit challenges and they would call me out because they didn't have anything to gain or lose as a result of what they told me. Like they weren't my partner and they weren't in my family and they could tell me the truth. And it started really iron sharpening iron and that's what it was like. And it was like, man, and the more I went in there, the better I did, you know, and the, the better I did, the more I wanted it. And it was just a vicious cycle. It's like I was growing personally and I was growing professionally because every week I was being challenged and I started reading more and more. So now I've read hundreds and hundreds of books over the course of the past couple of decades. And I'm just like, man, why would I want to get out of that? Like yeah. isolation is the enemy to excellence. And if I didn't want to grow, 
or if I did want to grow and I didn't have these people around me, who's going to push me? Who's going to help me? Who's going to be the filters by which I run things through? Cause I've only got one life experience. I mean, I can only see things one way, no matter how hard I try. Yeah. But when you surround yourself with eight or 10 other people that have the ability to see your blind spots or your kryptonite or, uh, really beef up your superpowers, you know, like who's going to do that. And I said, man, I'll die. Uh, having a mastermind group. There's no way I'll never not be in a mastermind group. So when I started coaching, uh, it filled up pretty quick because of the experience I've had, you know, 40 years of business, you know, yeah. and we've had 12 businesses. I had a little bit of business background. So my schedule filled up pretty quick and then people kept calling and I'm like, I can't coach any more people. And then I started the mastermind groups. And so I fill up, you know, a group and then I start another one and another. Now we're launching our 13th group. Uh, actually next Tuesday, you know, uh, and we just keep getting these amazing people. Uh, and now we've had a brotherhood, but now we've got these guys that are sharing resources and they're making introductions and they're meeting, they're going in business together. They're challenging each other every week. We fill out an accountability tool. We have guests that come in and speak to us, you know, via video. Uh, we meet on a video conference room and I'm telling you, it's like a bunch of piranhas that are entrepreneurs that are uh, feeding off each other with these resources and these relationships. And it's just changing lives like none other. And why would anybody not want to be involved in something like that? And that's how I got introduced to Mastermind. Oh, yeah, that is fantastic. Uh, it definitely is important to the company that you keep, right? That's it, it matters and it will change kind of the course of your life. So tell us, how can people work with you and how can they you know, get into one of these masterminds, if they're listening to you and going, sure. man, I need that. Yeah. The easiest way is to reach out to me at viewfromthetop.com. That's with a V viewfromthetop.com. And, uh, you can connect with me pretty easy there. I'm pretty easy to find too. You can Google Aaron Walker and you, you'll be able to find me pretty easy. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got um, all those links to the form to fill out to join the mastermind if you want to. Um, Aaron's website, View from the Top, as well as um, a link to your book, View from the Top, Living a Life of Significance, which is amazing as well. Um, so you guys the only reason uh, I sounded a little bit uh, boastful when I said I'm easy to find. The reason I'm easy to find is because I've done a number of interviews and I've written a lot. Oh, yeah a blog post and a lot of Facebook lives because we really believe in the message. So, uh, I just wanted to clarify the reason I said it that way. It's just because there's so much content out there. It's pretty easy to find iron sharpens iron. We have numbers of guys joining every single week because it's radically transforming their life because they have this kind of, um, trusted advisors. They're kind of board of directors that they meet with every single week and their lives are transforming as a result of it. So I'm very passionate about it. And that's why we promote it so much. And I write so much and do so many Facebook lives is because it is absolutely exploding at the seams right now because it's transforming guys lives. Yeah. Well, we all, we all need that. Don't we? We need a group of people who will speak into us the truth. I, I need it. I need somebody to tell me the truth. You know, I, I'm not in there for just somebody to tell me what I want to hear. I'm in there to know the truth so I get better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So there's links at uh, podcast.com, friends, as always. Aaron, is there anything you want to leave us with? 
You know, I would just suggest one thing. I, there's a couple of mantras that I have that I live my life by. My mom kind of was inspirational in this in the very beginning. She would never allow me to say the word can't. She would say can't, couldn't do it, and could did it all. So I want to encourage you guys today that it's a mindset shift. And I also want to help you overcome fear. Most people are allowing that to hold them back. And I say fear missing an opportunity more than your fear of failure. And if you couple that with a great mindset of you can do something, success is going to come your way pretty quick. Yeah. Amen. All right, Aaron, thanks so much for being here. I sure appreciate you sharing a little bit of your story with us. Uh, It's been fun to connect with you, and um, I'm glad you were here. I enjoyed it, Eric. Thanks a lot. See you, buddy. 